And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. A year on from taking charge, Antonio Conte has overseen Tottenham's best start to a Premier League campaign and led them to Champions League qualification as group winners. And yet, a new contract still remains unsigned. I'm Mark Chapman, and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. This club had a great vision outside of the pitch. Now I think we have to start to have a vision also on the pitch. I think this is important if we want to win. He wants to be shopping from the most expensive shops and buying the best players for their positions. It will eat him up inside if this is a team that is not in a position to challenge. If you look at the relationships Levy's had with all the other managers he's had, I don't think he's ever had a situation where the manager has had this much leverage over him. Conte believes a lot in family and Juventus were his family for a long time. Joining us to discuss Antonio Conte's first year in charge at Tottenham, our Spurs writer Jack Pitbrook and the Athletic Serie A expert James Horncastle. So bear in mind, I've said that, one year in, Jack, Tottenham's best start to a Premier League campaign and they win their Champions League group. I mean, this should be all bells and whistles and party central and balloons and everything, shouldn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, everything feels better the morning after a big European win, particularly a big European away win, of the sort that you know Tottenham hadn't really had since Ajax, I thought, last night. Um, so maybe that does colour perceptions a bit. I think certainly, objectively, Conte is doing really, really well. You know, he inherited the team when they were a mess. He dragged them to fourth. They're looking good for top four again this season, averaging two points a game in the league. They've won their Champions League group, which they haven't a competition they haven't even been in for the last three years. And in that sense, I think he's he's certainly performing to par. Some of the performances have not been good, and some of the football has been, at times, to be honest, quite ugly. But I think there are certainly mitigating factors there, namely the schedule and the squad, which mean that. I think it's probably worth giving Conte a bit of leeway on those particular points. James, how much different... Let's let's deal with the football and then we'll come on to Tottenham season and we can do the squad and everything else. Uh, by the way, the morning after, the night before, doesn't always feel great. I watched Altrincham nil, Wheelstone 1 last night, which was quite possibly <laughs> one of the most miserable 90 minutes of my life uh, in the pouring rain. Anyhow, let's deal with the football. When you watch the Tottenham football, James, how different is it to... The Chelsea football under Conte, the Juve football under Conte. Well, it's not been as exciting, as fluent, uh, certainly over the last month. But I think that's to be expected because they've been out without Kulusevsky in that time. Um, you know, Kulusevsky's been a been a really big miss for them. Even that partnership between Son and Kane. You know, Son has had ups and downs this year, and you know hasn't been uh, in peak form. And you know what? I mean, when Conte took the job, I looked at this the squad and I thought, wow, there's there's a lot of work 
for him to be doing there because Yoris is in decline, in my opinion. Um, obviously, they invested heavily in Christian Romero at the, at the back, and Romero missed quite a large chunk of last season with injury. But yeah, I mean, he's had to coach Dyer back to sort of his best, really. I mean, Dyer has got back into the England squad for the first time in two years on the back of of what he's done with Conte. Ben Davies has played well as a left centre-back. But I looked at that, Chappers, and I thought, they're going to have to probably go again for another centre-back, not a long leg, not, yeah. not, a, not a backup. That, that needs strengthening because they don't have a Van Dijk. They don't have a Ruben Diaz. The midfield for me is 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 a mystery, and uh, you know Jack's written about Bentancur and Hoiberg. Conte's always had a three in midfield, at least in Italy. Um, you know, I know I know for Chelsea, for example, he had Kante and he had Matic, but I think this is probably the weakest midfield that Conte's had uh, in a in a in a wow. top flight in a top flight club team that he's had. Yeah, no disrespect to Hoiberg and Bentancur, they are playing well, but. The reality is there's not a Pilo in that midfield. Uh, there's not a Brozovic in that midfield. And those two players that I've just mentioned, kind of so key in establishing a possession game uh, for teams. And I, I think that's been harder at Tottenham for, for Conte to get uh, established um, than it has um, in his other club teams. And then the wingbacks, so key to, to what Conte does. Perisic has not been as effective as he was at Inter when he was probably their best player in the second half of last season. And you, you go through this kind of churn of Sessegnon, Emerson Royale, Doherty. I kind of agree with Jack. I think he's done a lot considering that you know, Kulusevsky's been out since before the North London derby. So all these big games that have kept coming, they've been without arguably their most creative, inventive player. Richarlison has been out as well. You know, Richarlison, let's not forget, is Brazil's number nine. It's not Gabriel Jesus, it's it's Richarlison. And and so I think there are mitigating circumstances for the football over the last month, really. And right now it's all about getting to the World Cup and still being in a in a in a good position. But th- th- this I, d- I do find the perception utterly fascinating with Tottenham because it's, the style of play discussion is I, I wonder whether the the media go round in circles on it and therefore that makes it bigger and bigger and bigger th- th- than what it is, whether there is real dissatisfaction amongst Tottenham fans about the style of play. Because we talk about the start to the season they've had. You also look at the goals they've scored, Jack. You know, only City and Arsenal have scored more th- this season. Yeah, yeah, completely. And they, it's weird. I think, I think part of this is kind of a perception thing linked to the fact that Tottenham don't look like what we recognise a good team to be now. Like if you, I think the way that City and Liverpool have so obviously raised the bar and set a blueprint in the course of the last six years. And for them, being a good team is all about, we've got our plan A, we're going to impose it on the opposition, we're going to play high up the pitch, we're going to nick the ball back as quickly as we can, we're going to be 4-0 up at half-time, and then we're going to rest players. And their, their ability to replicate this week in, week out and really to demolish most of the small teams they come up against is how they've, you know, racked up these amazing 90-plus point tallies in the last five years. I do think Tottenham are a good team, but they don't look anything like that at all. They're far more reactive. They're far more passive for long periods of the game. They try to use the opposition's weaknesses against them. They don't just try and go out there and demolish teams. 
at all. And so if you spent five years watching City and Liverpool, you kind of you internalise the sense of this is what a good team looks like. Then you watch Tottenham play and you think, wow, they don't look anything like City and Liverpool at all. Like They're stylistically so different. So I wonder if that's maybe a bit of where that kind of disjuncture comes from. There's one team that you didn't mention there and in their style of football, which I wonder whether that has an effect on Tottenham as well this season and fans and perception, which is Arsenal. Yeah, and some fans do say this. Some, you know, sometimes we hear from Tottenham fans who say, "Look, you know, it's harder, it's harder for me to accept this because the lot down the road are actually playing, you know, frankly, a style of football which is more like what City play. You know, they're playing a more, you know, Arsenal play a more proactive style. They dominate possession. They, you know, they defend high up the pitch, clever interplay, create lots of chances, and you know, Spurs do create chances themselves in their own way. But it's playing a more reactive style, isn't it?" But they would be more proactive, Tottenham, with their first choice players available further forward. Whether whether that, I mean, Kuliseski, as, as James has highlighted, is the main one there. And you have to cut your cloth accordingly. I mean, you know, when they demolished Everton at home, that was last season, wasn't it? You know, they weren't reactive in that. They absolutely blitzed them. It, it is there when you have the right players available. It is, but you need, they need Kulisewski. Like, they, Kulisewski is the guy who allows them to, he makes them better in possession. He makes them better at creating chances. And without him, and, and also to be honest, Son's drop off in form. Like, Son, yeah. Son, you know, Son scored every single chance throughout four years. And this year, he's only scored in two games. And all of a sudden, that means it's so much harder to cut through teams if your cutting edge is now blunt, which is, to be honest, it's been the case. Like, Son has been really bad for most of the games this season. And suddenly that means that the whole team, if you take Kuliseski out and you put Son in the finishing slump, the whole team has to work so much harder just to create anything. And they can't create chances at will anymore. And the chance they do create, they don't always score. He's got the best out of Kane, though, hasn't he? I wonder whether that's gone slightly under the under the radar in the white. You know, he's got Harry Kane's got ten Premier League goals. The other thing that I would say is Harry Kane is I don't know if reintegrated is the right word, Jack. But if you go back two summers ago and the whole circus around that, you know, Conte has managed that once he's come in, hasn't he? Yeah, I think I think Kane looks happier, hungrier, sharper than he has done for years really like since probably since he signed that contract in 2018 like he's he's been really really good he's much fitter now than he, he was before you're right he's scoring a lot of goals he's completely indispensable to the team and even last night I thought he put in it was one of those incredibly kind of canny centre forward performances that you get from Kane Thunders in these big games where with not a lot of support around him to be honest because I didn't think Lucas was very good he, his ability to take down a long ball control it hold off defenders, keep, keep hold on to it for a few seconds, eventually win a free kick, was in, indispensable for Tottenham getting up the pitch and relieving a bit of pressure. So, and, and even then, I think there's probably another level to come from Kane. Like, there's only been a few, I thought, maybe against Everton, I thought he looked at his very best, but I feel like he can still do even better. So, yeah, Kane is definitely one of the, uh, the success stories of right now. What do you think, uh, James, Getting through to the last 16 in the Champions League means for Conte, his domestic league success is very, very impressive. Five league titles in total across Italy and England. Champions League, he's been left wanting in the past. Yeah, absolutely. It's been quite a lacklustre record um, over the last decade. 
I think it needs settling into some context. I mean, I'm quite sympathetic towards him because if you look at three of the four club jobs that he's had, he's taken over teams that are not in the Champions League. So his first year has been about getting them into the top four. You know, Juventus was seventh when he took over, so he's not in the Champions League. Chelsea were 10th, uh, so they're not in the Champions League. Tottenham, as Jack said, were in a mess. They were in the Conference League, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. And so that means that he's he's missed a lot of Champions League football by setting things right in his first year at clubs. I mean, we did an article on this, I think, just at the beginning of the, of the Champions League. And if you look at the number of appearances that Conte's had in the Champions League... I think he's only 36 games going into this season, which is far fewer than any of his peers in the competition. Um, so it's not like he's been in the Champions League every year for the last decade and has gone out in the group stages every year. He's mm. probably missed a lot more Champions League football in that time. And I think when you are taking a team that hasn't been in the Champions League in your first year into that competition, there are certain stresses and strains that the players are not adapted to and not used to. and. I think with a little bit more luck, uh, you know, he might have had a Simeone style run to a final, um, a Simeone style run to a Europa League victory. I mean, he got Juventus to the semi-finals of that competition. He got into to the final. They lost to Sevilla because everyone loses to, loses to Sevilla in Europa <laughs> League finals. Um, and so, uh, so, so yeah, and and they should have been through already before the game in Marseille. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at that bizarre VAR decision uh, against Sporting and you look at the chances that Eric Dyer missed in that game, they should have qualified with a game to spare. So, you know, I, I do think it's 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 a rather casual and easy stick to beat Conte with um, where, yeah, it, it, it should be better. Absolutely. But it's it's not as bad as as, as it necessarily should, should seem. Harry Kane plays it through. Poipier's in. Poipier shoots and Tottenham are through. Tottenham Hotspur are through to the last 16 of the Champions League. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne, host of the Athletics Newcastle United podcast, Pod on the Time. Aren't we having a jolly old time of it right now? Join me and the Athletics dynamic duo of Geordie writers George Coggan and Chris Woff every week. We'll bring you all the insight and analysis you need on the Mighty Magpies and probably some you don't as well. Follow and subscribe to Pod on the Time wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Athletic Football Podcast with me, Mark Chapman, Jack Pitt, Brooke and James Horncastle are with us. Talking Tottenham, we're talking Antonio Conte. Is he happy, Jack? I think he's happy enough. Yeah, I think he. <laughs> that's all. That's all. All of us ever want, isn't well, yeah. it? Really, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I think he, there's certainly elements about the job that he loves. You know, he love he loves the you know Conte's life is all about training, and he he works in the best. He drives in every day from his hotel and goes to the best training ground in the world, and you know that might not you know for some people. Fans, listeners, whatever, might not especially care about that. But I think to to managers who obsess over details that much, it really does make a difference. You know, he works with he pl- he plays every week or every other week in one of the, I think probably the best one of the best stadiums in Europe. He gets to compete with the best other managers in the world, which you know, given the size of the egos of Premier League managers, getting to compete with one another rather than you know lesser managers in the lesser league is a huge deal. When you watch him at Tottenham, could not be more engaged on the touchline. He could not care more that they win or lose. So I do think he's, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think he's happy enough. And I, I, I think he will sign a new contract. I think that the, the vibes that I'm getting on this are pretty positive. I think it will happen this season. So what's everybody waiting for? Well, I don't think he's in a rush to sign a new contract. I think he would also probably like some more money. I think he would like, you know, I'm sure a pay rise will be part of the new deal. Also, if he signs, he gives away his leverage. So if mm. he can moan about things until he signs, then he might get a few more players in January or players for next summer. So it's not necessarily in his interest to put pen to paper today, but I do think it will happen. Jack's mentioned the facilities, James, obviously. Uh, stadium, training ground, so on and so forth. Is there any part, do you think, of him that is enjoying this in that it is a different challenge to maybe the other clubs that he's been at, because this is 
this isn't wasn't a Tottenham set up for immediate success. I think people in England in the Premier League underestimate how easy it is to be a Premier League manager compared to being a manager in Serie A. What I mean by that is the mental intensity of working in Italy, particularly as an Italian. I mean, at Juventus, for example, in his first spell, he had the the case going on in the background of, of someone who was involved in match fixing at a club that he was at in Siena. And, you know, Conte ended up being banned for three months for, for not being aware of what was going on, uh, essentially. And, you know, that was a really difficult period for him. You know, there's some really <laughs> fiery press conferences uh, from him where he just feels that everyone's against him. When he got the Italy job, you know, so soon after walking out on, on Juventus, you know, he felt that not every door was open to him. You know, Juventus, for example, uh, were slow to let him back to kind of watch training or go to games and that sort of thing. At Inter, uh, yeah, there was there's a constant swirl. And I just feel that working at Tottenham, he doesn't have to deal with any of these things. You know, he just goes to work, isn't bothered at all. The media, you know, it'll ask questions of him, but not in the way it does it does in Italy uh, in any way. And I think it's, you know, it allows him just to focus on the job and, and as Jack says, to do what he likes, um, really, in, in, great, in, in a great, great setting and great facilities. And I think one of the things that struck me from following him, you know, not as closely as Jack has for Tottenham, but apart from the Burnley post-match press conference and the outburst that he had then where he really vented, Mm. I don't really remember him losing it in a way that he would at Inter, that he would at Juventus. And he seems quite tranquil in a way that he hasn't been in other jobs. And I, I think, yeah, that should be that should be quite encouraging if you're a Spurs fan, if you're a Spurs fan that's behind Conte and believes he can make the club successful. Because I think he's he's looked restless and agitated in other jobs. He doesn't look that that way um, at the moment at Tottenham. I think that's a really interesting point James makes, especially about the kind of relative easiness of this kind of job compared to working abroad. Actually, in that sense, it reminds me a little bit of Pep Guardiola at City, who, of course, has worked in, you know, two incredibly publicly demanding jobs at Barca and Bayern. And yeah, at City has a job where basically it's drive to training, take training, do a press conference, drive home on repeat and there's not really that same level of public pressure and it, it never really occurred to me in the past that maybe Conte's experience at Tottenham might be comparable to that but hearing James say it like that you know in the context of the work that he's done in Italy maybe he does find it easy you know drive from the hotel to training ground take training video sessions drive back to the hotel and do it you know and, and keep doing it over and over again rather than I mean, even though he's kind of famous in England, I don't think he's... I don't feel he's not really a celebrity in England, is he, James? He's not, not, he has no status here comparable to his status in Italy. No, I mean, in Italy, he's regarded as well, the best manager um, that, that, that the country has at the moment. Yeah, Italy is football-obsessed. I mean, I was talking about the kind of mental intensity that comes with, you know. I think he could probably go to a restaurant in England and the people around there would be quite reserved about going up and asking him for an autograph. They would think twice about doing it in Italy. They wouldn't, they would be crowding him. They'd be all over him. You know, it'd be very, you know, you have to find a private room for him in order to, for him to enjoy an evening. And yeah, all English, all Italian managers work in the Premier League say that just how reserved and, 
uh, and kind of easygoing and just hassle-free it is compared to working back at home. So I think that's something in his favor. Of course, the, the thing with Conte is that he's so demanding of himself when it comes to his reputation about being a winner. And it will eat him up inside if this is a team that is not in a position to challenge, uh, regardless of the gulf that there is between Man City and the rest. Um, I, I think there'll be some kind of regret really at the moment where you look at Liverpool and Liverpool are having a kind of difficult season. These are the times where there's, there should be an opportunity for a third team to kind of really push themselves into that. And at the moment, Arsenal are doing that. The only source for restlessness would be that really. Um, also because I, I'm sure Matt Slater has said it on this podcast before uh, Chappers, but the Premier League is the Super League at the moment. There's an earning power, there's a spending power that Tottenham have that no Italian club has at the moment. Your earning power in the Premier League is far superior to what it would be if you were to go back to Italy um, at this moment in time. In that respect, the only thing that, that in my opinion, would would change you know, Conte's mind would be this, it's about winning trophies, it's about glory. Um, and can I do that at Tottenham? Because everything else is 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 right as rain. It's it's good for him. So because you know what you know what could happen, obviously, and with the shambles that Juventus are, the rumours over here would swirl. Oh, you know, would he be interested? Would he be interested? But actually, everything you've just said, he'd run a mile from Juventus. <laughs> I don't think he'd want to run a mile, Chappers. Um, just, <laughs> just because Juventus are so close to his heart. Conte believes a lot in family, and Juventus were his family for a long time. <laughs> and... The, the club he's most associated with, the club he's most affiliated, affiliated with. Um, you know, I mean, obviously his his home for many years, for decades, was Turin. You know, I mean, he's from the south, he's from Lecce, but you know, in some some respects, his his home has been Turin for a long time. The thing that's always stopped him going back has been how he left. You know, back in in 2014, where he was in the final year of his contract. <laughs> And instead of signing an extension, he said, I'm going to see out the final year of my contract. And Juventus put a very low-key, one-sentence statement confirming that. And then he he resigned two days into preseason. Andrea Agnelli, the chairman, found that very hard to accept because it, it, it kind of put in jeopardy everything that they'd built over the past three years. They had to scramble around for a manager. It was You couldn't take for granted, for example, that Allegri was going to go and continue the success that they'd have for five years. And then Conte goes and coaches Juventus' biggest rivals, Inter, puts them back on top again. And again, there was a there was a fraught relationship there where you know, they're playing in the COVID season, empty stadium um, at the Allianz, and you know words being insults being thrown from the executive box, uh, gestures being made on the touchline. You know, it's always been seen to be a bit of a stumbling block. This this for, for, for Conte to go back to Juventus. But, you know, I mean, if you believe some of the reports in Italy, peace has been made between between him and Andrea Agnelli or some sort of peace. But, uh, you know, I, I would go back to the kind of situation Juventus are in at the moment. I mean, it's a club that's made kind of heavy losses. It's a club that it seems to be lacking in, in some of the imagination that it once had that put them back on top. Yeah. But I think it's, it's also a club that is, is in the state that it was when they appointed Conte the first time around. And if anything, I think people forget the influence that Conte has when it comes to establishing a mentality at a club. 
and how important that is and creating a sense of belonging that endures. Um, and I think you're seeing that Spurs now. I mean, Spurs, yeah, they've gone behind in what, the last five games? But you, you look at how they came back against Sporting, probably deserved to win that game. Um, you look at how they came back against Bournemouth, win that in stoppage time, come back against Marseille, win that in stoppage time. Yeah, th- that's not Spursy. Yeah, that is very much Conte putting a yeah. mentality into a, into a team. Um, and it's something that Juventus lack at the moment, that, that mentality. Back to Conte at Tottenham, what will he, apart from a pay rise maybe, what will he also want from the club when it comes to his squad, Jack? I think what he'll want is a sense that they're not just happy to come forth every year and keep the Champions League money rolling in. I think he would find I think he would find that to be quite a complacent attitude and it wouldn't sit well with him. I think he in the past he's talked about how he just needs to feel a 1% chance that they can really challenge the titles. And that would be enough to motivate him to go for it. But I think he he won't accept, let's just try and come forth forever, because we know that eventually catches up with you. He has to feel like they're really pushing. And I think in practice, what that means is money. It's money on players. As James said, yeah. they kind of kick the can down the road when they sign Longley in the summer, rather than like a Bastoni. Or a, or a Gavardiol, I'm sure he would want to readdress that. Obviously, he wasn't happy with what happened at right wing back. Um, I think that's you know there's clearly still a vacancy there for a top level right wing back. He's he's not having Jed Spence, what, presumably. If he was if, just on that, because because for if those he was of having us, him, he would if he I was mean, having that, him, he would have played all, him. <laughs> you know, he's, well, he's had what two uh, uh, two yeah, minute cameos, yeah. I think. Um, because it's a club signing, um, I, I think that has to be readdressed. I think another, you know, an alternative backup to Kulisevsky has to be readdressed, and then long term they probably need a goalkeeper, as James said earlier. I, I'm sure he will want to see commitments, commitments of a hun- of frankly hundreds of millions of pounds in, over the next few years. I, I'm not going to, have to sort of focus in on Jed Spence, but the line the line there about him being a club signing. We, we, in fact, the three of us did a podcast, I don't know, the beginning of September about how under Paratici the squad has been built in quite a good way, whether that's Richarlison or Kulosevsky or Romero and so on and so forth. When you say a club signing, is that not even Paratici? Because Conte and Paratici's relationship is obviously going to be vital to anything going forward. I was under the impression that what that Conte wanted a big money, big name right wing back. You know, somebody suggested to me that he he wanted Hakimi, which might sound far fetched, and maybe it was, but that just shows that for you know for Conte, he wants to be shopping from the most expensive shops and buying the best players for their positions, and um, and so to end up with you know a, let's be honest, a very very talented young player who uh, you know had a fantastic season at Nottingham Forest last season in the Championship. It's not really what Conte wants, you know. He wants ready-made winners who can who can slot straight into his system, and I think that that is really the source of the frustration that he didn't really get the top, the profile of player he wanted in that in that role. Because we know how to, you know, if you're going to play the, the the back three system, you need top quality wing backs, and he, on on that side, he doesn't really have them. The the relationship between the two is going to be key, isn't it, James? Yeah, I think it is key. Um, I think. Uh, regardless of, of of how it went down and whose choice um, Conte was, yeah, Paratici has this existing relationship and knows Antonio uh, very, very well, uh, knows what he wants, 
knows what kind of a how he's going to react um, to to certain situations. And you know, if if you look at all of his club jobs, with the exception of of Chelsea, uh, where the disconnect between Conte and kind of the recruitment there was kind of ended up playing out into how everything kind of deteriorated there. He's always had someone who he worked with at Juventus. You know, so Juventus, for example, it was Paratici, it was Marotta at Inter. The reason he took the Inter job was because Marotta, the chief executive from Juventus, had moved there. And I would say, again, with Tottenham, I think one of the things that would have appealed would have been Paratici. Because, you know, Paratici has recruited for Conte teams in the past. Yeah, there'll be a understanding there of what the club needs to do in order to placate uh, and appease its manager. And, you know, I do think, I do think that is, is very useful. And Tottenham have an option in Conte's contract to extend it. So I think there's the, that in itself is you know, a reason, for, a source of confidence for the club in extending this relationship beyond this season. But as Jack says, it's just whether it can be on terms that Conte wants and whether they build on what they did in the summer, which was kind of unprecedented summer for Spurs, not so much in the players that they signed, but the fact that there was a cash injection from Enik there. Of, of I can't remember the exact figure, but more than 100 million, um, uh, Jack, which I, I, I think... 150 million pounds. Yeah, I think if, if you're the club and you're dealing with Conte, you're saying, yeah, we have done so much to support you here. You know, you have got, we, we are credible. We should be credible to you as a, as a club that is behind you, is backing you. And so I think it, it does go beyond Palatici in that sense. You know, I think Levy and Enik can basically say, look, we've tried to put you in the best position that we can at this moment in time to, to get the team where you want it to be. I think that in part is because in the relationship between Conte and Levy, or the relation, if you look at the relationships Levy's had with all the other managers he's had, I don't think he's ever had a situation where the the manager has had this much leverage over him as Conte does. Conte has so much leverage over Levy. Like Levy loves Conte, and he often, you know, he'll often tell people that he thinks Conte is the best manager he's ever appointed. But because Conte's so good, and because he doesn't have a lot of time left on his contract, then all of a sudden he's got all the leverage because if he wants to go. He can go, like not you know. He can't. He can't walk out tomorrow and it not cost him anything. But he's not. So Is he still... the most powerful manager Tottenham have had? Yeah, under definitely. This ownership, definitely. Because even with Pochettino, so obviously Pochettino did miraculous things at Tottenham, and the fans absolutely adored him. But I don't think he ever had that same leverage over 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 Levy. Like Pochettino would never. You would never criticize the team in public. He wouldn't be given the same leeway to do what he wanted as Conte does. Frankly, the fact that Levy, I think, recruited him from Southampton has a is a factor here. Pochettino would offer, you know, would sign up to long term deals. You know, so Pochettino signed obviously a very long term deal in 2018. All of a sudden, Real Madrid come in for him. Pochettino is frankly is kind of curious about going to Real Madrid, but he can't go because he's got this contract. So Pochettino was never really in a position of power at Tottenham, whereas Conte has so much power now because Levy is really worried about. You know what will happen if if Conte goes. Like if Conte goes, Levy would be hammered by the fans. And so I think a lot of what Levy's doing, and you can see this with the, you know, the 150 million pound equity injection, or doing deals that he would never normally do, like Perisic for 180 grand a week, or Richarlison for 50 plus 10 million, or whatever it is. Levy is doing things to keep Conte happy 
which he wouldn't do for other managers because he knows that in, in this relationship at the moment, I think the power and the leverage is with Antonio Conte. Uh, and that seems a, uh, a very good place to leave it. Jack, James, thank you. Talk to you both soon. Pleasure. Thanks, Cheppers. See Cheers. you in Qatar. <laughs> wow, never has a more depressing sentence been spoken on the pod. And believe you me, there have been plenty of them. For more dedicated Premier League coverage and plenty more besides, just subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months. Theathletic.com slash football pod. The Athletic.